Hello and welcome to the Vlogging Pod. Tonight we are joined by collaborating authors James T. Lambert and Troy Lambert. Welcome to the room, gentlemen. Now, first I have to say two similar last names, but not related. That is correct. Ah. Uh, we have the same last names. We met in a critique group, and when we were going around the table uh, introducing ourselves, we had to figure out if we were related. We couldn't find anything. Wow. Wow. Well, we do 20 minutes tonight. And I am really excited because I have to tell you guys, I'm a little bit of a Trekkie myself. I don't normally admit it, <laughs> but I am. So I'm really excited about how you two decided to collaborate. Um, well, so yeah, go ahead, Jim. Okay. Well, actually, it's uh, kind of your story. Uh, Troy uh, was talking to me and another friend about a new project that uh, he heard about, about writing for uh, the Star Trek audience, that uh, there was a, a need for it since it was Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday coming up. Oh. I was like, oh, that, that sounds pretty cool. He goes, do you know anybody who's you know interested in doing that? I kind of raised my hand and went, well, me? <laughs> 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 well, that's awesome. So you guys, this is the first time you've ever really collaborated on something, right? Sort of. So we, we both write in a universe uh, that we call Monster Marshals, um, which is about these, um, basically the secret government agency that makes monsters around uh, the United States follow the rules that have been set forth for them. Um, but we haven't collaborated directly on those stories. Like, we write in the same world, but we don't write in the same story necessarily. So this is the first time that we collaborated on, like, uh, like an actual project where we collaborated together on it. Yeah. Okay. All right. As writers. Now, Troy is my editor on some of my other stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so how did you feel about writing with your editor this time? Jim or James would you oh, prefer James great. or Jim Jim is just fine okay. uh, I, it was great it was I uh, I was had some trouble with some of the sections and got a hold of him and said you know what what do you think I should do and he said well I can help you out with some of these and I go that would be great come <laughs> save me <laughs> <laughs> Well, now, I know, Troy, you have um, actually, you have uh, written with other people before, and you, I think you've ghostwrited as well. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. So I've actually done a lot of collaborations of various types. Okay. And so how did this, how did this venture differ for you? Differ for you, I'm sorry. Well, this one was a little different in that, first of all, it was a it was a topic that both Jim and I were passionate about. So um, there, there was a certain amount of shared uh, history and shared passion. And then, of course, we had to watch a lot of the old Star Trek over again. It, it was <laughs> a terrible suffering, but we managed to make it through. Um, but it, it was different in because I bring a different approach of, from like the philosophy aspect of things. 
And Jim brought a different approach from the um, Star Trek history and some of the convention history and things like that perspective. And so it melded really well. Like we were able to write um, something that, of course, we feel is really meaningful for Trekkies, um, not only in just some of the history of Star Trek and how things happened, um, but also in some of the philosophy behind it and where it came from and like how it's holding up over time. Now, I know you're saying the older stuff was a little painful to get through, but you have to admit um, the first-generation movies of Star Trek are still today phenomenal. I mean, come on. I mean, outside of the, the digital enhancement that movies now have, even back then, these were... I'm sorry, but they're still my favorite. They really are. They're still my favorite of the old Kirk and Spock and all that. I mean, I love and and Khan. Come on, that was my favorite, right? Come on, am I alone on that one? No, no, not at all. Yes. Oh my gosh, right? I love that yeah. one. That that creepy little bug putting the helmet and the heads. No, oh my gosh, my favorite, my favorite. So yeah, there was a. There, I mean, we wouldn't watch the director's cut, the new director's cut of the motion picture when it was in theaters, and it is absolutely fabulous. Um, the movie itself, like the plot of the movie itself, um, as far as the motion picture, is not something that I would call spectacular, but it was good. But the cinematography for the time and the fact that we, have, as Trekkies, at that point had never seen the Enterprise on the big screen. It had always been on the small screen on television. And so when the motion picture came out, I mean, that was a huge deal. And th the other part of it that's interesting is it paved the way for other science fiction to be appear on the big screen. If it hadn't been for Star Trek, there wouldn't be any Star Wars because we kind of paved the way for sci-fi, you know, adventure sci-fi to be something that people would actually pay attention to and watch and that became popular. So how do you how do you feel about the newest of the Star Trek um, coming in? Now I have to say I do really love the second generation with Picard. So have you watched the newest Picards? Anybody? Have you gotten into that? So I have not gotten into the Picard, but okay. I absolutely love the Strange New Worlds. Ah uh, yes. The very newest. Yes, the uh, the string off of oh gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the names. My husband is gonna be screaming from the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Pike. Yes, yes, I'm really enjoying that one as well. Now, if, if let's talk about Captain Pike because maybe some people don't know that he actually was before Kirk. Yep. Well, right, yeah, and we know the end of his story. Like, we know what happens to Captain Pike, and they allude to that in Strange New Worlds, but when we met Captain Pike on the original series, we know what happens to him and what his fate is. And so what I like about, one of the things I like about Strange New World is they do allude to that, the fact that this came before the original series, um, and there, obviously there's some continuity things there that are a little weird because the technology seems better almost yes. than, you know, being the original Enterprise. But I mean, that's due to obviously the time in which it was made. Um, but I like that they allude what happens to Captain Pike, how he ends up, what his fate is, all those different kind of things with Strange New Worlds. And it's much more like the original series than 
you know, some of the other shows are. Although I enjoy those as well. I mean, I liked Picard. Um, you just have to treat it as its own thing and don't worry about canon too much, and it's fine. Right. Yeah. So so let's get right into the book. Let's talk about the Tao of Trek and its compilation of insight into the Trekkie phenomenon. Give us a... Um, well, let's break it down for us, what you tried to hope to get out of the book for Trekkie fans. The, uh, the idea was that so many of the things that the original series brought to the screen and said, hey, look at this, this is a problem we're facing, and we're talking about it in the science fiction sense. Uh, things like uh, people not having enough eat, uh, different political uh, agendas coming up and and dominating a world and all of these things are relevant to us and so we've tried to make that clear that they were addressing these things from the beginning and how they talked about it influenced how our lives were uh, were led the uh, the first interracial kiss on uh, on American TV was on Star Trek. Uh, the uh, when uh, when uh, Martin Luther King Jr. stepped in uh, during the second season to talk Nichelle Nichols into continuing on the series, she wanted to quit, and he goes, "No, you're an inspiration. You are an officer on the bridge. You are important in this show." And we need people to be able to look up to you as a role model. Just so many things like that were just calling out to say, this, this influenced our lives. This isn't just a show. This really made a difference. Right. I can fully understand that. I mean, I can't think of a time that Star Trek wasn't in my lifetime. You know, from a kid growing up and even now, I mean, I'm still watching Star Trek. And I have the pins and I also have the DVDs. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but I do. I do, I do. Um, so, now you guys are both sci-fi writers, am I correct? Actually, no. Okay. I'm actually, most of the time I write mysteries and thrillers. Okay, yeah. Um, but I grew up reading sci-fi. What's interesting, I grew up reading sci-fi and fantasy. It's just as I started to write my own stuff, I realized that my voice, my author voice, was in mystery and thriller, and that's where I kept going to. Okay. Um, but I still love sci-fi. Like, I, I have written some humorous stuff and some historical stuff that talks about sci-fi, um, but I think the thing about Star Trek is really what it's about, you know, the underlying thing is telling a story that has a theme. And so many of the episodes were thematic in the original series and the next generation um, and exactly brought to fore various philosophy things that we were dealing with at the time as a nation and as, a, as humanity. Um, and so it's really that storytelling aspect um, but yeah, no, I'm not normally a sci-fi writer. That's Jim's department. <laughs> okay. Um, so as a sci-fi writer, Jim, I mean, how does it hit all points for you? I mean, did it hit all the aspects that you as a writer um, have goals to hit when you're writing yourself? Uh, did Star Trek? Yeah. Uh, or did our book? Uh, Star Trek, yeah. 
with the new series, with the long form, uh, telling a story over the course of a uh, of a season, between that and the old uh, episodic format, yeah, that really kind of takes all the things that I grew up on, the short stories and the uh, and the novels and the series, and combines both of those. You know, we we get to see both kinds of storytelling. Okay. Uh, and I like the uh, the not faith in technology. That's not quite the right way to put it, but the understanding that technology can solve some problems by changing how how you look at things. Uh, the replicators can make food as long as you have energy. Mm -hmm. And they have this source of energy that is hugely powerful. So now they can make food for everyone and clothing and housing. And it's like, this is a technological problem, this is a technological solution to a social problem. And often that's what science fiction is about, is thinking outside the box. Right. I wish it were as easy to fix things as Star Trek, I'll be honest with you. Maybe not with all the, you know, lasers and stuff firing around, but as far as food and all the other little things that have already worked out in the future. So, now I know, Troy, you say that you, you don't write sci-fi. You're more of a mystery writer. and and um, But tell me, both gentlemen, if you could tell me, how the Star Trek series influenced your writing. Has it touched your writing and anything that you've done outside of this current book? Has it touched your writing in any way, influenced you in a way? Uh, oh my goodness, yes. In, in a huge way, um, so long story that we don't even have time to tell, but because of my upbringing, Star Trek was, was like a revelation to me about that things could be different. There was there was a different way to view the world than the way the people around me viewed the world. Um, and that was true of sci-fi in general uh, for me, was I was like, oh, there, there's a new way, a different way to look at the world. And I'd like that way, way better than this way other people are trying to tell me to look at things. And so um, for me, it was really, it was a complete game changer. I mean, I remember the first convention I went to with my uncle and I walked into a hotel in Richland, Washington. I was probably six, seven years old, something like that. And a Mr. Spock walked by and then another one. And, a, and I was like, these people all get it. Like they, they come together over something that's really, really important. And it, so it really influenced my my outlook on life and my philosophy, um, sci-fi in general, uh, Star Trek especially, Isaac Asimov to a large extent. Um, so even though I don't write in that genre, that genre defined a lot of things about my life and my philosophy um, as I as I grew up and got older. Nice. And and you, Jim, has it? How has it touched your writing? Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the same things that uh, Troy said. Uh, I was a big Asimov, Bradbury, Clark, Heinlein. Those were the things to read back then. And uh, Star Trek, Star Trek. Uh, in terms of writing, there were a lot of uh, interest lessons that I didn't know I learned until I started writing. 
uh, that you don't have to explain how everything works. You know, you can throw a little techno babble at it and move on. And, nice. uh, you know, you can encapsulate a small story in a short time. You can tell a story that's not actually the set right. If you remember the original series, The Conscience of the King is about Shakespearean theater. Mm-hmm and a theater troupe, but it's also about uh, genocide and uh, someone committing these horrible crimes and getting away with it and never being caught. And it's also about how you get through hard times. If there isn't enough food for everybody, what do you do? And then it's all set in the science fiction setting as the backdrop. It was just, you could put so many things in the pot and stir them together, and you could make something come out that people liked. Right. And I mean, I've, I based one of my, uh, one of my novels that's uh, in the works right now on the Arthurian legends, but it's set in the far future with spaceships. Hmm. And none of it will make sense to anybody that oh, this all came from King Arthur's tales, but it helped me come up with a story. Actually, so that sounds really things. Actually, that sounds real intriguing for me, so <laughs> I would be interested in that. So, tell Next me year. tell me about the conventions. Now, I know just from following your feed, Troy, I know you did some conventions. Was the book um out for out published by then when you were doing the conventions? Uh, yeah, when we went to we went to Fan Fusion in Phoenix, um, and the book was out, and it was actually really there were some really cool people that we met. I mean, everywhere we go, we meet really cool people when we whenever we have this book with us, um, because there there's kind of a unity among Trekkies and Star Trek fans that's like almost inexplicable, you know. Like, and there are times when people will come up and talk to us about Trek for. Our, you know, 40 minutes and not buy the book, um, which is fascinating to me. <laughs> um, but but it, it, it's because they see someone who's like part of their tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's like this hidden tribe. It's not even a hidden tribe, a huge tribe of Trekkies. And so for me, part of the conventions is not only awareness of getting the book out there, and yes, we want to sell books and all that kind of stuff, but it's also just starting discussion about the philosophy of Trek that maybe just influences how somebody goes about their day a little differently. I mean, one of the things we put on one of our banners is find your own prime directive and boldly go. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, if I could impart one thing to people at conventions, that would be it. Is what is your prime directive? And why, why are you not boldly going into this world um, and why are we so timid sometimes with our dreams and the various different things that we do um, when we're, you know, as Carl Sagan said, we're all made of star stuff. And this is our this is our universe. Anyway, I, I could go on forever. But um, that, so that's what conventions mean to me. It's more about connecting as much about connecting with people as it is about selling books or something like that. Right. And Jim, you were at the conventions as well, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, I 
I love going to conventions. I went to some Star Trek conventions way back in the 70s and the 80s, and there's just these wonderful stories that come out of it. Uh, you know, seeing Jimmy Doohan speak and talk about uh, doing cartoons. <laughs> it's like, oh, you did? <laughs> uh, going to a local convention, uh, it was one of the big traveling ones, and I ran into a coworker who was totally dressed up in uh, a red scant, the uh, the mini skirt from uh, from the original series, and it's like, oh, you're a you're a Star Trek fan? I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I I went to a, we were at a book convention, and I actually left our booth to go to one of the sci-fi things because uh, one of the uh, it's in a, it, they're a book series and I don't want to drop names, but I actually got to meet someone right up and, um, he actually came out and hugged us and we got pictures with him. So I was like, it was my fan moment. So I won't drop any names because it's not my moment <laughs> in the sun here, but I want to thank you two gentlemen. It's my, my 20 minutes are went up past, but I want to ask one final question. Where do you see the future of this? Do you plan on collaborating again on another Star Trek, or was the collaboration so nice fit with between the two of you that you plan on doing something else? Oh, I, I feel like we, we published this book just before Strange New Worlds came out. So there was a lot of anticipation about it, but we didn't we hadn't seen it yet. And so, you know, part of the book was like, we're hopeful, we're hopeful for, for Strange New Worlds. But I, so I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we, if at some point we will do a sequel, but I would kind of like to because there's some more Trek coming out. And it's, I think there's a really interesting future for Star Trek. I think we're attracting a new younger generation. Two of my favorite of the new shows is Lower Decks and Prodigy, both animated. Now, don't watch Lower Decks with your small children, probably. Um, but Prodigy is, is great um, to watch with them. But it, it, it's, it's inspiring a new generation of Trekkies. And me personally, I would love to um, talk about that and to inspire that next group of Trekkies as well. Um, and, you know, Jim and I, I think we'll be friends uh, probably uh, until we just can't be anymore, which one of us is pushing up daisies or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I have a feeling we'll be collaborating for a long time. Well, I hope to see that. I really do. Um, I am sorry I laughed in that because Pushing Up Daisies is another one of my series that I love. They quit that after two seasons. I don't know if you've ever saw that, but that's an awesome one. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys so much for being on. It, I really would love to do another one and really actually have people come in and even ask some Trekkie questions because that would be freaking awesome. But if you're interested, oh, <laughs> yes, it would. I would love that. So if you guys ever want to come back and do another uh, hit on the Star Trek Trekkie thing, we could really prep it up because that would be awesome. You betcha. That sounds like a blast to me. Yes. An absolute blast. I would love yes. it. We could open it up for uh, guest people to talk on Wisdom. We have 15 listeners right now on that app. And I would love for people to come in and ask some questions and be able to do that. So, yeah, let's get together and maybe do something this coming year. That would be freaking awesome. Anyways, great. All right, guys. Thank you again for coming in. Thank you, our audience. You guys have been a wonderful pleasure tonight. 
We'll see you again soon. Have a great one. Bye-bye for now.